So hello and welcome everyone. My name is Deborah Burton and I am the CEO of Instruct and I am thrilled to be joining today with Giovanna Lanzani. Giovanni, thank you for joining us and we're going to spend some time today talking about this really great in-depth survey that the Go Data Driven team has put together. Uh, and it's chock full of great information, but we're gonna dissect it for you so that you can understand exactly what's happening in the areas of data science according to the survey that the Go Data Driven team has been given. But Gio, before we get started, I'd really appreciate the opportunity for you to introduce yourself to the audience and tell a little bit about Go Data Driven. Sure, thank you. Uh, so my name is uh, Giovanni Lanzani, originally from Italy. I got imported here by my wife now. <laughs> uh, uh, I did a master and PhD in theoretical physics at Leiden University in the Netherlands. Um, afterwards, I went work for KPMG as a software quality consultant. There I, I learned basically to be a consultant, most of all. And then approximately seven years ago, I started working with uh, big data and Hadoop and uh, data science. And that's when I joined Goto Driven. Okay. First was a data scientist there. Then I, I went to basically to be head of data science. And now since uh, a year and a half, I'm head of training uh, there at Goto Driven. Fantastic. And tell us a little bit about GoData Driven. Yeah, GoData Driven is a part of the Xibia group. Um, they started around 2010 with the first big data implementations. Uh, while they were still part of the Xibia group. And then in 2013, they became independent, right, when they started doing uh, um, also data science. Okay. Uh, that's when I came in. And currently, we are a team of approximately 60 data scientists and engineers, uh, aided by the analytics translators. Great, fantastic. Well, data science seems to be one of the hot topics that all the enterprise organizations, at least that I'm talking to, are very interested in. And that's why with, with this survey result, in evolving the biz, evolving the business is the key to success with data and AI, I thought it would be great to share with our audience. So I put a few, a few questions for you. So um, in terms of what you see happening in businesses, why is education so important for a successful data strategy? Oh, that's, a, uh, that's an interesting question. I think um, right now data science could be seen as out of the infancy phase. So it's kind of trickling out of the innovation in the IT department into the wider businesses. So what you see is that um, while two, three years ago, we were seeing a lot of proof of concept and proof of value with a very limited adoption, very limited set of users inside the organization. Right now, uh, the exposure is really expanding. So for example, we are, we were at the Dutch railways and we were doing a project about maintenance, predictive maintenance, knowing when trains were going to break down. And it, were, it was the technicians that saw the results of our model. And, and then of course, we were seeing something that they never saw before. And when this happens, in, in, especially in traditional organization, you had, a, you had a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, and so the need of education for, for the larger organization, a bit of data awareness, so to say, it's about taking the fear out of the people 
start working with data products saying, you know, these products are not here to take your jobs away, but they're here to enhance what you do and maybe give you more time to do the interesting things, the things that you love the most. Uh, that's on one side. On the other side, as I said, as we're moving outside the, the proof of concept uh, phase where somebody creates a quick dashboard on the laptop or they just show something on a PowerPoint, uh, a lot of these applications to add impact to the business, they need to move into production. And moving data-intensive application to production requires a different set of skills that the data scientists in 2014 didn't have. So a lot of demand comes from people that want to, you know, be able to contribute creating things of value for the company um, while not necessarily having that background. So education is becoming more and more important. So tell me about how the survey got started, because I understand you've been doing it since like maybe 2016 or, or even earlier. Yeah, I think 2015, 2016, we started. I don't know the exact year, but it's four or five years that we're, we're doing it. I think the idea came because we uh, we didn't want to live in our own uh, bubble of information, like us, our consultants, our clients, but we wanted to take a broader look into the trends in, of the industry. So where are we going? Not just not just with the, with the I don't want to say the very elite, but the early adopters, but where is the industry going? So the idea of the survey came about. We started doing it. And get a lot of great responses and positive feedback from the report, like like you you. Right, and what type of organizations, what type of people were you targeting in the survey? Yeah, so in the survey we see that we have a lot. the The, the majority of people that respond are BI specialists, business intelligence specialists, and I think that reflects a bit the market. There's much more of them uh, than data scientists. Uh, but after that group, we have product owners, C-level executives, data scientists, and data engineers equally uh, represented. So we have a very varied uh, uh, public, if, if you look at the data space. When you put the survey together, because it's a really comprehensive survey, um, you're looking at a lot of different sectors, the financial services sector, telcos, uh, healthcare, all types of different businesses. And are you seeing trends or things that are different within the industries that are responding and the people that are responding? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, especially for companies like the financial services that were always really driven by data, and driven by good quality data, they started pretty early with this uh, with this whole uh, data and AI revolution, so to say. Uh, on one hand, on the other hand, you see that they're also very risk adverse. Some some of them. If you look at the banks, they really want to do it properly. So you see that in some of the of the aspect, they they are and were early adopters. In some others, they they have a wait and see approach. Um, on the other hand, we see that. Uh, for example, sectors as retail, they're much, you know, much less uh, burdened by legacy. So they can, maybe they not always move as first, but when they move, they go can go really quick. Yeah, can really go fast. What did the survey results really show you in terms of the challenges folks are facing when they're trying to introduce uh, a data-driven uh, strategy or a data-driven way of working. Um, and has that, the survey results of this year, 
Does that reflect something different than what you saw in previous years? Yeah, I think the the if we look at the at the biggest challenges, having the the the, the buy-in from management, having the right people, and having people with the with the yeah with the appropriate set of skills, they are among the top well challenges that companies are are facing. And I think the, especially the management buy-in is well, it's very important. If, if there's no vision, uh, even though you might have a proof of concept here or there, but if there's, if there's no overarching vision or strategy, uh, the company is never going to move in a particular direction when it comes to data and AI. So it's very important that management uh, does buy-in, does budget, and does support because this management it's, are the people that take the decisions. And if they say we want to be data driven, and then all the decisions they take are gut instinct decisions, of course, people are not going to take them seriously. That's, that's as simple as that. Do you find that it's hard for um, organizations to change the way they've been working for decades oh, to certain to suddenly? Think in terms of how do we become data-driven? How do we use this technology to benefit and delight our customers and give us a better perspective of what we're doing? I think it's uh, it's very hard, uh, especially if I look at the, at the Netherlands, where you have a lot of the of the small and medium enterprises, where there were like people that are basically self-made. I'm not talking about the you know the Philips that are. You know, 50, 100 years that they exist, they have, you know, they have a very structured company, but the much smaller companies, uh, I remember we once did, we have a product at one of our clients, and they use it to forecast how much inventory should one of their franchisers have. And once the product first went into production, um, the company mails like a small number of franchises saying, you know, now you're going to see the prediction that the model uh, is going gonna, is gonna to spit out when it comes to ordering this particular um, uh, type of food in your inventory. And some of them said, oh, you know, I know it better. I'm, it's 30 years that I'm doing it. <laughs> and of course, they had the option to overrule the model. And we saw that everyone that overruled the model by, by a good amount, they were always wrong. So one week later, they were sending back the stuff that, that was basically not sellable anymore because they ordered too much a week before. And it took, I think it took them a couple of months. Like It's like, hey, is this really working? Could it really be that if we look at the weather and if you look at the holidays and if you look at the history, can the algorithm be better than me? Because at the end of the day, this is what we as human has a lot of troubles admitting that somebody else is better than us. It's the whole, um, you know, I, th I think it, it was not a long time ago where the um, former world champion of, of Go quit his profession because he said, you know, computers are now better than us. I have nothing else to add. And it was a very humble thing for him to do, but not everybody's doing that. Right. Well, I think that that that, that gets into a whole different conversation in terms of um, being in a position to actually say that I'm only going to rely on what the data is telling us, uh, and not and take kind of take the human aspect out of it.
So that's a, also a different, a different track that we need to talk about at another time as well. So um, is it difficult for companies to actually um, get out there and get started and how to develop that knowledge internally? And in some of the courses that you have put together, does that help them achieve that? I think... Um talk about it in a, in a survey, we talk about a budget paradox, mm -hmm. which is people want to get started, but they don't know if they're going to get value out of it. Uh, but to know how to get value out of it, you need to get started. So it's like chicken and egg uh, problem there. Um, and what we see is that there are, we, companies always need some sort of visionary person or group in the company that says, you know, we're going to start, we're going to Invest a couple of millions for the for the first year or the first two years. We're gonna see what it what it you know what comes out of it, and maybe in five years we'll be completely data driven, and this has the potential to upend our industry. So we have to be there now, um, and so I think that that's you know these people need to overcome this budget paradox and say you know I see that data and AI has you know they have the same potential as the internet. 30 years ago, uh, you would never say to a marketeer, you need to use Google Analytics because there was no Google there was Analytics. No Google Analytics and there was right. basically no internet. Right now, it's unthinkable uh, to ask of a marketeer saying, you know, you have to work on this website. But there's, by the way, you have no analytics whatsoever on what the user did. You say, well, I'm not, I cannot do that. So, is it, it, so you have mentioned that it's starting, it can start with the the business intelligence analysis, but there are also other people within a traditional enterprise that can play a role as too. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the one of the I mean the people that could have the 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 biggest impact are product owners of data and AI products. So basically there are the people that uh, are in charge of developing or well actually of owning these data products. Um, because they are the people that very often they know the business very well and they can get either because it's their inclination or by training or taking some courses, they can get the, the enough knowledge on the AI side to be able to become good product owners of, of data and AI products, which are fundamentally different than, than the traditional IT uh, products. And to make an example, if I... Um, Let's say as a product owner, I want to develop a new feature, like a new security feature in my product. I can make an estimate of how much time it's going to cost, how much money it's going to cost. But I know that if I will spend more or less that money and time, I will get the feature that I want. On the other hand, let's say you want to detect intrusion on your network and you create, you want to use AI to do that. You don't know if your data is good enough to be able to predict that. So you could be six months down the road and say, you know, we don't have data that is able to predict intrusion with the level that we want. So we have to scrap it. So they, be, they have to be able to fail, to fail uh, early um, and fast. And on the other hand, you also get into the, into, the, into the realm of probabilities. If you want to build a feature, you either have the feature on your website or you don't. But once you have to predict if you have an intruder, sometimes you get an intruder, Sometimes you get irregular users that the algorithm mislabeled. 
So you need to be able to navigate those trade-offs. And, and it is something I think that people can learn, but not everybody can do it, you know, naturally. And that brings up um, one of the things that uh, you talk about in the paper is the analytics translator. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I think um, the analytics translator is the, for us, is the person. Uh, you could identify an analytics translator with the product owner of a data science uh, product. The translator is the bridge or the link between the business and the team. So they, they have a deep, an, uh, yeah, deep knowledge of how the business work works, of you know how value is added to the company. But they also understand data and AI. They understand how a team, uh, a data and AI team works, the kind of process that they that they employ. Uh, they understand the trade-off. They understand you know the whole in the details of a product owner working there and you know they really gap well sorry bridge the gap between these two words but what does that person look like i mean what type of background do they have to have what type of uh, management positions or roles do they have to have because it sounds like they have to be a superhero to be able to do all of that yeah, uh, you could say <laughs> I that. think you're a superhero, by the yeah. way, but I'm just a commentary. But I mean, I mean, what does? Yeah, I think I think that the the good product owners they could become analytics translator or product owners of data products uh, with just a bit of well, with just a bit of of, of reskilling. So you need to have a good understanding of analytics. You know, you need to know what kind of algorithms are out there trade-off that the algorithms uh, bring with them. And of course, the data scientists will be the expert on the trade-offs, but you need to you know, have a conversation with them and understand what they're saying. So is this a real role that you perceive? Is it a title for in a company of a person that's called the analytics translator? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And are more and more organizations having people as yeah. analytic translators. So we work with some uh, large financial institutions and in 2019 we trained I think almost 500 of the of their employees to be analytics translator. So basically it's and it's and, and it's growing and uh, right now a, a big a, a big online company asks us to train 350 product owners to become product owners of data products or analytics translator. So it's it's really something that it's well the market is asking because this this data and AI, you know, is got is not gonna go away, and people want the companies want to extract value from it, and you need and to extract value. You need people that understand the business but understand the technique enough to be able to bring this this you know these things of value uh, to light. Great. No, that's very interesting because it's a, for me, it's a new term, the analytics translator. So it's really nice to know that that's a role that is helping power change and drive change within enterprises. So Giovanni, in the survey you do, um, there's a topic of GDPR compliance. Uh, does data science really play a role in helping organizations become compliant? Yeah, so I think data science play a role in having an organization be non-compliant um, in the sense that I think the European regulators started 
thinking about a GDPR for the influence that companies such as uh, Google and Facebook had on our lives. And they had a lot of influence because they, they were collecting, collecting a lot of data about us. And at the end of the day, we, I mean, the majority of, of the money that Google and Facebook do, it comes from advertising. And advertising, advertiser wants something uh, very simple, which is they want to create the best audiences that they can for their products. And to, to create a good audience, you need to have a lot of data about the user population and you can slice slices and dice it. And these, of course, had a lot of, you know, once you had that information, you also wielded some power. And we saw that in the in the 2016 U.S. elections, how knowing that much about people could be used in a way we probably didn't even think it was possible 10 years ago. Um, and so that's all that, that, that knowledge and data and that, you know, the data science you could do with that data kind of, backslashed against against I mean these companies I would say um, because the European regulator started working on a GDPR which came into effect now almost two years ago um, but and it, it is kind of scary how much data these organizations have yeah. about us yeah, you know and how much of our private information is out there somewhere no you are you're, you're <laughs> right i mean i mean the, the day the day facebook acquired whatsapp i uh, quit whatsapp and i'm not using it to to this day even though you know i'm like the black sheep in my mm -hmm. my not only my family but also at, at, at work uh the same for instagram uh when it was acquired i said well you know i just i'm just not comfortable with that and you know i work in data science so i should know better mm -hmm. um but i also think that data science Right now, it's you know the topic of ethics is coming up a lot, and the topic of data science for good. Uh, I wrote an article, I think, a couple of months ago on our on our blog about all the good things we're doing at our clients using data science. But I think that you make a really powerful point right now. We only hear about the negative in terms of when things go really bad and these large breaches and all of our, our social security numbers and our credit card numbers and all of our data is taken or held hostage and we can't get it back. But there is a lot of really good ethical data science happening in the world. Why aren't we hearing more of that? Yeah, so of course, bad news travel faster. Uh, that, that's a reason, and I think uh, we are just overwhelmed by the by the well, you know, the, the 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 by the bad use cases, quote unquote, because they're not bad, but the the, the ones that are more related to advertising and to that sort of things, because it's uh, because there are much more uh, of those use cases in the in the wild, and they they we get much more upset about it. Well, you know, when you think about it, when a lot of these social networks started, um, they weren't monetized and it was really a grassroots movement. I remember when Facebook started and everyone in my family wanted to be on Facebook because it was easy and they could communicate and, you know, share so much 
personal information. I see what you uh, did there. You know, and now it it almost feels like because it's more monetized, more targeted marketing, that it's not necessarily that safe community that we grew up in. And no, uh, no. and I think that's uh, also one of the things that we have to be aware of as people are consuming and using uh, the technology that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think also the, this, we were basically in, in the internet era, we are used to use online services for free. And we saw that with newspapers, like, you know, for, for a while, it, it, it just, you know, went along hoping that the, 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 the print edition would, <laughs> would take off as a result of the internet. But after a while, they had to, you know, put a paywall or put like some sort of limits to what you could access for free online. And right. you need to pay for good content. Our customers, they don't get us for free. They also have to pay for good things. Yeah. And why should we treat the things on the internet differently? Just No, that's exactly right. And I don't think that there's any um, question about paying for a service. I always talk about Netflix and how it changed my life in terms of the way that I watch television commercial free, and I'm happy to pay them because they keep bringing out these programs that delight me. What I get more concerned about is the, the amount of data that comes to me if I go on the website now and I type in the subject chocolate, and within minutes I'm getting an um, a ad telling me about chocolate. That's pretty fast and that's very targeted yeah, that uh, tells you that that there's a lot of data that's out there tell me some examples of the good stuff that data science is doing in terms of um yeah so we helping we, us yeah we have uh, if we just look at our practice we have a couple of examples i talked about the, the dutch railways where mm -hmm. we have them determine when a train is going to break down there's mm -hmm. no personal data involved in that mm -hmm. but it really helps all the people that travels with the, with the Dutch Railways. We did something else for a flower auctions where we help um, get better picture at the, at the auction of the flowers. And the better the picture, the smaller the chance the flowers will be destroyed, which is great. Um, we help, um, basically here in the Netherlands, all, almost all the traffic lights are automated. Yes. Uh, so they have sensors on the ground. And we help the company develop a better model to for these you know, so that you have to wait less time for a green uh, light at the, at, the, at the traffic light. So the, all this, I mean, and we have many, many more examples. Uh, we we help the university, one of the medical universities here in the Netherlands, to more quickly analyze the MRI data coming from the heart, uh, so that instead of spending two three hours per MRI scan to determine the the, the volume of the of some. Uh, heart chambers they could a machine that could do it a minute or a second and mind you it uses personal data because you need to use this mri of course. Um, but it's completely anonymized and it's it makes such a huge difference for the, for the medical professions and we are just we were just thrilled and delighted to be able to work on, on such right. a project so to loop that all back to gdpr it's good in a sense that organizations are recognizing that more and more of our personal privacy needs to be private. But on the other end, 
we really benefit by being able to have that data that helps us see or foresee solutions to problems, solutions to things that are affecting our health, improving our travel services and things like that. So no. the data and the GDPR all come together to benefit all of us yeah, at the exactly. end of the day. Great. Well, I enjoy talking to you about that because, uh, yeah, we hear a lot in terms of what that looks like. Um, in terms of, I just use my cheat sheet here. In terms of getting back to the survey, you have a lot of rich information in there about uh, popular data technologies. Uh, you have three distinct categories. You have data programming and analysis technology, cloud platforms, visualization tools, and also the fact that open source tools, things like um, Python and Apache Spark, uh, uh, Azure are really popular. Is that telling that open source is something that the community can get their arms around versus more proprietary? Yeah, I think, uh, I personally am a big fan of open source. Uh, so I used to write, our colleague has taken it over from me, but I used to write a blog each month uh, with all the open source contributions that God has driven made that month. And it's really amazing to see what a small company can do for a community. But I personally think that from the from the user's perspective, uh, these are tools that are really nice because they were not created by a, uh, uh, they were not created by a vendor with a single you know view of how things should be done, but they're created by the community uh, taking a lot of different voices into consideration. And so you really see that in the ergonomics that those two uh, tools provide. And then the, you you don't you have, I mean you avoid vendor locking, so you have a much higher transferability of your skills. So the things that you, I mean, if you learn Python ten years ago, of course now you need a bit of a refresher, but you don't need to start from scratch. And uh, and if we ha if we go into this kind of proprietary tools, then you have I mean such a huge amount of them and such a fragmentation in the market. And you have a couple of leaders, of course, in 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 the in, in that uh, in the vendor space, um, but the fragmentation is much higher, and so your skills are just less transferable. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the this whole movement about uh, the openness is really winning out there because people they like um, they really like this approach. Companies really like the fact that they can, you know, that they can contribute to this to this project here. So I, I was at the client once. And we were using this um, this tool, uh, this open source tool, and we were missing a feature. And of course, what you what they, what they were used to do, uh, they were used to call the vendor, and then you would get a timeline, and maybe the release one year later you would get a feature. And if you were very important, maybe you could uh, you could expect it in the next quarter. quarter. Um, and in the case of this open source tool, I went out there, and the week a week later. The official tool had a patch that was submitted by me that fixed the use cases, use case that we were doing there. And it's just so empowering for a company. It's so great to be to be part of it. And then, of course, from a personal perspective, people that contribute to this, mm -hmm. 
they are really helped when they are in the job market because all the, I mean, not all the work, but a lot of the work they done, it's there in the open. Right. It's not like saying, you know, I have a project, that project did project A, B, and C, but I cannot show you that. No, no, no. Right. They're there. They're in the open. This is what I did for yeah. for for this project, and it's just great. Yeah, and that's that really is sharing the knowledge and empowering other organizations oh. to also take take the step to be successful. And I find when you have these big movements like that, that is the game changer when people are not only looking at how it can benefit them and their competitive advantage, but how it can benefit an industry, a market as a whole. The other interesting thing in the survey was um, the popularity of the cloud platforms. Um, it was ranked Microsoft Azure 49%, AWS 31%, private cloud, 30%, GCP 29, and Alibaba cloud one. Um, and I think this is probably our last question because you have to go. Um, what do you think um, these results reflect in terms of the popularity of, for example, private cloud and things like Alibaba cloud coming about? Yeah, so I think that, um, I think this first, First of all, this reflects the fact that uh, I think Microsoft had 20, 30 years to build networks inside inside of customers' uh, um, uh, organizations. And so right now, I think Azure was the last cloud provider to emerge, mm -hmm. uh, but they made a tremendous growth uh, in there because of this, you know, existing network of account manager, of sales. Um, and on the other hand, since 2014, when, when Satya Nadella, uh, well, you know, took the CEO position of Microsoft, they really embraced this idea that in order for Microsoft to win, Windows doesn't have to be everywhere. They can also win with, you know, offering Linux servers on Azure. Mm -hmm. And again, 20 years ago, it was unthinkable oh, that Microsoft would push <laughs> open technologies yeah. at their customers. Yeah. And they 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 kind of shift the mindset that you can really see that in in these numbers, um, and of course, AWS is a clear number second mm -hmm. uh, because they were the first. They had, uh, you know, they had really a head start uh, there. And I think right now, I mean, the the, the, the survey is a bit biased uh, from a geographical perspective, where our where we and our partners are most most active. Uh, and we're not the most active in China, so I think that's that the also reason uh, Ali, Alibaba, Ali Cloud, mm -hmm. um, and just one percent of the respondents. Um, but I think this, this, uh, you know, I, a colleague of mine went to uh, went to China, I think last year, and he said, you know, you cannot even imagine that you have the cities that have as many inhabitants as the Netherlands as a whole. <laughs> And we think here, like, you know, we're Amsterdam and Rotterdam, and here's just a city, it's just, just like 25 million people right. living there. Right. Like the scale that, that that a provider like Ali, Ali Cloud can have, right. it just doesn't fit, at least it just doesn't fit in my head. Yeah. And I think it's like these economies of scale and the fact that I think the Chinese government is really, really pushing this Made in China 2025 strategy. Uh, that they want to be technologically independent. They saw that with the, with the trade war and the semiconductor industry, they uh, 
they're pushing a lot into the uh, into the electric vehicles in the whole EV uh, revolution. Uh, they're pushing a lot into the nuclear energy sector, electric vehicles, semiconductors, and cloud is just the natural next step. They want also to be independent from uh, from uh, from the well from the U.S. Uh, really, um, and that gives a lot of push for companies such as uh, Alibaba to develop and 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 make these services better and cheaper than the competition. So I think we'll hear more about uh, AliCloud in the next survey, 2021 uh, survey, uh, because they have, you know, they have a good story there. So the one thing that we didn't get to talk about is the whole skills side of the house. And you know I want to talk to you about that. So I'd like to invite you to come back for a part two discussion for our audience. But I know you have to go, and I'm really thankful. So for... All of you out there, I, I really want you to uh, access this um, data science survey that was gone, done by GoDataDriven. I am so happy to have Giovanni here with Thank me today. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure that you get a copy of this. And uh, with that, we'd like to thank you and look forward to seeing you next time. Bye now. Bye.